This message comes to you from City Bible Church in Portland, Oregon, where we are committed to living like Jesus and sharing His love. It is our prayer that this message blesses and enriches your life. My name's Isaac. And I'm Katrina, and this is our defining moment. It was about a year ago in November, um, during Faith Harvest season, that we had um, been praying about Faith Harvest. We had already given uh, Faith Harvest an amount, but Pastor Frank was talking about great opportunities and not missing an opportunity to sow a seed. And so I was in a prayer meeting uh, one morning, and there was a young lady who had just mentioned one of her prayer requests was that she really needed a car. Her car broke down, was pretty desperate, and she needed a car. And as we were praying for her, I felt such a strong impression from the Holy Spirit that we should give one of our cars to her. And so I decided to talk to Isaac about it and told him my idea. And fortunately, he didn't think that I was crazy, but said, I want to pray about this. And so I said, okay, you pray about it, and um, then we'll talk about it again. I remember the moment Katrina, we were in the prayer meeting, and she came up to me, and she was crying, and so I knew, okay, there's something's going on here. Uh, so she said to me, uh, as we were praying, God spoke to me. I felt super strong about this. We're supposed to give our car away. You know, we had just come off the last weekend. Literally, Pastor Frank was speaking about opportunity, and just when you have a chance to mm -hmm. give, like, you don't get that chance again. You either take hold of that opportunity or it, you know, it passes you by. So um, she told me and then I went down and I prayed about it. And uh, you know, I remember sitting you know, just by myself praying and just thinking, man, this is crazy. I've, you know, mm -hmm. I've never done anything like this before. And I'm thinking just as a, you know, as a husband and future dad, like, man, is this even a wise decision? Like I'm mm -hmm. giving away something that we've mm -hmm. saved for and something you get back in a week you know and so um, I just remember that feeling of wow this is a significant mm -hmm. thing that we're giving away and but along with that like uh, also a sense of excitement and just mm -hmm. like thinking like you know what we're really stepping into something beyond ourselves that we've ever done before and I don't want to miss this opportunity. I feel like this is going to push us into a different level. There's some sort of ceiling over our finances. We've always been people who tithe and give, but there's just something there. And I feel like if we do this, this is a God moment that we're gonna break through that. Mm -hmm. After service, there was a couple that was waiting for me. And um, I walked up to them and I said, hey, how's it going? What can I do for you? They sat me down, Isaac wasn't there. They sat me down and they said, God's put something on our heart and um, she's felt it for a long time and God spoke to me today and we want you to have our car. And um, I remember being in shock and then I remember just absolutely bursting into tears, crying in such relief and such overwhelming joy because it meant so much more to me than a car but it was just that God heard my prayer and he didn't forget me and that he is faithful to his word. And when he says, test me in this, he's, he's gonna come through. He's not gonna let you down. 
And um, it was such an amazing moment to see the joy on their face, remembering how I felt when we gave away our car, but then to be on that receiving end of receiving this car that was worth way more than the car that we gave away. So much better, so much nicer, luxury family sedan, top safety ratings, all the things that you would want for a family vehicle. And it was just given to us. It just hits you in such a powerful way where you realize, and God is, God is my provider. Like, who else do I need to look to? Right. What else do I need to put my trust in? Like, absolutely nothing else. Like, it just, I can't even describe really just the depth in the sense of just where my faith like had come through, like being mm -hmm. through that time of testing and it's like, wow, now it's been proved genuine mm -hmm. and that's like worth more than gold mm -hmm. and more than just the car. Like it was just the fact that, man, God's my provider and I can trust him with anything. Our defining moment is not the same for everyone. You don't give away a car and get this breakthrough, but it's whatever God asks you to do with what's in your hand when you're obedient to it, there is a, just an ability to break through something that you can't break through on your own. One of the uh, great things that comes to my mind when I listen to a testimony like that is uh, the worst case scenario that I could think of would be for a person to live their entire life and have no defining moments. Never looking back on that particular moment where you did something uh, very uh, out of the box and God showed up and that moment marked your life for the rest of your life with Isaac and Katrina. They will always remember that moment. No one can give them that moment but themselves. But they'll remember that later on in life when they're talking to their own children and things will happen and they'll have a defining moment. Here's my definition. I'd like you to take it down. Defining moments. We're talking about a very special kind of a moment. And the uh, moment I'm talking about is the crossroads of fear and hope. That's where a lot of moments take place. The crossroads of opportunity and hesitancy, and you move into this thing called defining moments. Are the divinely arranged moments that define our lives and set us on a new path that changes the way we live. And so a defining moment for us is a divinely arranged moment, at least an opportunity for the moment. We don't always step into the water when the water has been stirred up. We don't always choose the right road when the door opens. We don't always have that urge of faith and actually step out and do what we're supposed to do. But that's what should happen. And that's what we want to happen in our life as we get out of the boat. We do that which God says. We, we move toward the divinely arranged moments because they actually change your life. They do. They mark you. Defining moments are a series of God moments. I would think a defining moment for me is a God moment. Strung together by God's acts in our life that result in a redefinition. A redefinition. Because every time you have a defining moment, something in your life changes a little bit. Something in your life has a new frame, a, a new worldview, so to speak. A new perspective. 
as you move into life. In the Old Testament, they built altars. Every time they had a defining moment, a God moment, a word from the Lord, a vision, a covenant, they built an altar. And they worshiped the Lord. And they rehearsed the moment. How many altars have you built? How many altars have you built? How many moments have you captured? How many times have you sat down to worship the Lord over that divinely arranged thing that changed the direction of your life? And you build your own altar in your heart. Defining moments, I have six that I've already given you. There could be a lot more than these, but for sure you should have these. Salvation. Looking back, knowing and understanding. There are people from my last message that actually went back and checked their birth certificate on this one. And some people came up with, I've never had a defining moment with my salvation. I can't look back and tell you what had happened. I need to have a defining moment that I understand with water baptism that I was baptized, not just a dry center going down and coming up a wet center, but a heart change, something happened. How about spirit baptism? A defining moment, redirect your life. How about being committed to a local church, nothing like it, the family of God. Put your roots down, community, serve. Go through all the learning processes of being around a lot of different kinds of people, all the different age groups, not just your own age group. You commit to the family of God. It's a defining moment. It'll change your whole life. What about first fruits? Giving your tithe, the first time, the first fruits, the defining moment where you actually move from fear to trust. You actually move from reasoning to obedience. You actually move yourself to a conviction that it already belongs to the Lord. It's a defining moment. I've shared my story in the last message, how I came to these defining moments myself, but everybody should have their own. And then generous offering moment, which is above the tithe, a generous offering moment. Do you have some? We have some. We built a string of them in our life. Over the years we've been married, we have had defining moments of generosity, sacrifice, surprise, stretch. Every year we come to Faith Harvest, it's the same thing. To pray and to look and to perceive the will of God and the mind of God and what is God saying to us because it's time for a generous offering. It's our community of believers. It's our vision. We're touching the world. We're touching our nation. We're touching our state. We're touching our city, our metro area. We're feeding the poor. We're involved with all kinds of areas. And all of that takes resources. And when you move beyond the tithe, you're actually given beyond the vision. You're actually stretching the vision with us. You're actually becoming part of the people who move the tent stakes. You actually become part of those who serve a purpose, not just my own house. My house is taken care of. Your house should be taken care of. That's what the first fruits is all about. But beyond my house, there's the house of God. Some people are very good about their first fruits and their house is in order. And they have margin and they have excess and they have things that come into their life called surplus, but they have not yet caught the vision of serving the purpose of God and actually plugging your generosity into extending the vision of the house of God that you belong to or you should belong to. First fruits moment, this is what we said. Giving the first and best of my income. It never works when you do it second. It can only be first. It's got to be the first act, the first thing you do. 
of my income and my increase is a defining moment when I cross over. And it is a crossover, whether you're a student, a young married couple with a new mortgage, a young business person with a new business and all the expenses, and wherever you are in life. I told the story about the young woman who was on welfare and came to my office and should I tithe on my welfare check? The hardest discussion I ever had as a young pastor. I was so struck by her heart, but I was so struck by my, I can't tell her what to do with this little bit of money. It sounds so ludicrous for me to say to her, tithe on your welfare. Tithe on the little bit you have. Tithe on whatever comes through your hand. But it was the conviction that I experienced in my own life that I finally reached into my heart and said, you know, you need to go ahead and do this. The first is the first, and if you do that, I believe God will honor you. And he did, and her story is amazing. A defining moment, you cross over with a faith decision. Believe, believe that it takes faith because it does. You do not give without faith. Whether it's a tithe, an offering, to missions, setting aside my first fruit, representing my entire field yet to be harvested. Recognize that God owns, protects, and blesses my field. I got a, a very special letter from a very special person in the church. Been here a long time. And uh, in the letter... She had a large inheritance that came to her. That's what she told me. She says, you know, I already paid tithe on this, I think, and I wasn't thinking I should do anything with it, but as you spoke, it dawned on me that that's my field and one of the only fields I now have in front of me. So she says, I decided with the spirit of faith right then to send you this check, and it was a large check. She says, I want to conserve what God is doing in my field and I want to actually get his ownership over this money also because first fruits has taken a corner of the field, given the first fruits of the Lord, is saying, The rest of the field belongs to you. So, as my partner, protect the field, build a fence around the field. Don't let famine or pestilence get to my field. Don't let mildew come to my field. Don't let anybody rob my field because now I've given you a covenant part and it's our field together. It's given the Lord that field, it's given the Lord. Not what you have in your pocket, but what yet is to come into your life and into your bank account, into your earnings, that you have a first fruit that is actually a protection of what's happening. When I received that check, I was so humbled and so blessed by the wording in her letter, how she just took this and said, you know what, this is for me, and I'm going to do this. Proverbs 3, 9, and 10. Honor the Lord. Well, it's an honorable thing to give. Honor the Lord with your wealth, small, great, doesn't matter, with the first and best of your income. It's what the Bible says. I'm reading you Proverbs 3, 9 and 10 from the Good News Translation. Then your barns will be full. How's your barns? Your vats will overflow. How's your overflow, your surplus? Honor God with everything you own. That's a good way to live right there. Given the first and the best, your barns will be burst, and wine that will brim over. Now, faith harvest is actually the part of this verse where it says, and your barns will be full, and your vats will overflow. So after you honor the Lord with your wealth, which is the first part, you honor the Lord with the first. My conviction and my experience is that the first is what brings increase. 
And so as you honor the Lord with the first and you learn how to order your household, order your finance, you actually believe in the Malachi 3 scripture and others about what the Lord does with your first and with your tenth and you actually build upon that. Even though you might not see it the first year, the second year, but as you live life, you start experiencing blessing and promotions and honoring and God starts doing things in your life financially if you're faithful. If you have an honoring spirit, if you have an obedient spirit, and if you build your life upon that first fruits principle, you will have times of increase, and your barns will be filled, and your vats will overflow. And then the Lord will say to you, I want to take some of your fullness, and I want you to also invest out of your fullness, out of your surplus, so to speak. I want you to also give sacrificially and stretch yourself beyond that. Then comes another level of giving. Faith harvest offering is given a special offering. It's in the Bible to have offerings, tithes and offerings that is over and above my tithes. If you're a tither, really you're only giving back what already belongs to God. If you give offerings, you're giving back what belongs to you, but you want to Give it with a willing heart. It's a whole different thing. To give my offering is to be a giving that's unlimited. There's no way to know how much to give. There's no percentage in the Bible. There's no direction in the Bible. It just says give. Generously, faith-filled. And it speaks about sowing your seed. All right, let's talk about a generosity moment. Here's my definition, a generosity moment. What happens? Okay, I'm a tither. I'm a first fruits person. I'm building my income. I'm, I'm being faithful with the little I have or the much I have, and I've set everything aside, and I know how to honor God. I'm walking in obedience. I'm not wasting stuff, and, and the Lord begins to bless me, and then comes opportunity. Opportunity to give your car away. Opportunity to bless a missionary. Opportunity to give into a thing called faith harvest, the vision of City Bible Church that extends to literally thousands of other people are touched by Faith Harvest money. People that never sit in this sanctuary and some that do. Generosity moment is what? When I'm challenged by God with an opportunity, by a God opportunity, to give a faith-filled sacrificial offering that exceeds the limits of expectation. Going beyond to extraordinary, miraculous generosity. I can't say that I started with miraculous generosity. can't say I started there. I can't say that the very first offering above my tithe that was given as an offering, a, a generous offering, that it was radically a miraculous thing. It was not. It was just barely above my tithe. And the first time I ever gave anything that was generous was to missions. It seemed right. I had some extra money, and so I started giving to missions. The first missions offering I ever gave was $5. Then I increased that as I went along to more money. Then I came involved with local churches that had building programs. I'd, I'd never, ever had given a large amount to a building program, ever, until I came to Bible Temple. We were doing the building down on 76 in Gleason, and that was the first large generosity offering I ever gave. We were married, young couple. I was making uh, $900 a month. My wife was making about the same as a legal secretary. 
We saved her check. We wanted to buy a house. We lived in my check. This is 1976, not 1876. $900 was not a lot of money in 1976. No matter how you cut the cake, it's not very much money. And so we had saved her check, lived on my check, as I was a young Bible college teacher. We're 26 years old, Sharon's 23. We're starting in life. We're just like many of the young people today and young couples. You don't have anything. We're living in a little one-room apartment. We have uh, furniture that was given to us by other people and some that we went down to the Goodwill and bought and we recovered and put something on the old couch that had holes in it. That's how we started. That's how we lived. Never missed our tithe, ever. Set aside every week. And then we saved this money over a period of time. We had over $3,000 saved, ready to put down on a house. That was a huge amount of money for us, like having 30000 I mean, it was a huge amount of money. Then in came John Jimenez, who preached to our congregation about giving toward the building program. And some of you old-time Bible temple people, no matter what campus you go to, you will remember what John said. He said, one for the Father, one for the Son, and one for the Holy Ghost, $1,000 each. you got to give $3,000 toward this building fund. It's the most uh, unorthodox way of raising money that you would ever hear anybody ever do. We're going to raise it according to the Godhead. One for the Father, one for the Son, and one for the Holy Spirit. It's not even scriptural to do it that way, I don't think. But it was his word to us. And our church grabbed it. I was working with all the young teachers up in the office, the Ken Maumans and the Rick Johnsons and the Mike Karens, and all, all of us were in one little office complex. We were the teachers of Portland Bible College. We were in a little coffee room Monday morning. And Ken says to me, So, Frank... Where are you going to get your 3000 I said, well, where are you getting yours? He says, well, I just have to believe for mine. I don't have a penny. But he says, you're saving for a house, aren't you? Yeah. I have over 3000 He says, that must be hard to give because you already have it. And it really hit me. I wish I didn't have it. You know, it hit me. Because if I didn't have it, I'd be like everybody else. Well, by faith, it's going to come in, hallelujah. And it doesn't matter how it comes in because I don't have anything anyway. That's where all the other guys, but I had it. I had it. $3,000 in the bank. And we gave it. Long story short, there was a lot of arguments between not me and my wife, but me and Jesus. Saying, Jesus, you don't, you don't want this. You need to give me another three and let me keep this three. Didn't work that way. You give out of what you have. And that was the first big offering that we ever gave in our life. My wife and I, $3,000. There goes our house. There goes everything. We're, I mean, this just like Katrina saying it was kind of scary and Isaac was saying kind of scary about the car. We were giving away our house that we needed to buy. Now what do we do? And long story short is we got a house. We, we bought a house. It was such an amazing deal. We made 40000 off the house before we sold it. And that was the beginning of us having houses that we made money on because we sold the first seed. But it was a challenge for me. 
Sowing when it comes time for opportunity. Sometimes we don't expect what God will do. I remember praying a while back, said, Lord, you know, I'd like to receive in my lifetime when we raise money at the church, someone to give me a million dollar check. Not me, but for the church. I want someone to give a million dollars. You know, I prayed that for years. And finally, one of our business guys sold his business and brought me a check for a million dollars. Didn't put it in the offering. I, I did put it in the offering afterward. But he brought it to me. He says, I, I want you to receive something for the church to build your faith. And there was that check for a million dollars to Jesus. That's awesome. Man's in the hospital dying of a heart attack. He lived. Family was seeing him on a daily basis. While he's in the hospital, one of his relatives died and left him a million dollars. So he was a million dollars richer sitting in the hospital. But the family didn't know how to tell him. They didn't know how to tell him about the million dollars because they were afraid they'd give him a heart attack. And so they were very careful, so they went to the preacher and said, can you help us tell Dad about the million dollars? We don't want to kill him. He said, sure. So the preacher went in, fellowship with him, and kind of gradually, you know, took him along, and God's been good to you, and, and, and finally got down to it, and gradually says, oh, by the way, he says, you know, what would you do if someone gave you a million dollars? He said, wow, well, that, that would be just, uh, you know, uh, I know the first thing I would do is I would give half of it to the church. The preacher dropped dead of a heart attack. <laughs> Sometimes God so exceeds our expectations that we are not aware of how much God wants to bring into our personal life, into our business, and into our church. And God wants us to lift our sights. Can someone say amen? amen. Lift our faith sights for yourself, for your future, for your needs, for our needs, and for the vision of people being saved and discipled and cities being reached. Luke 6.38. Message translation. Give away your life. You'll find life given back, but not merely given back. Given back with bonus and blessing. Giving, not getting, is the way. Generosity begats generosity. Generosity begats generosity. Here's our definition of generosity, just to make sure you understand exactly what I'm saying. Generosity is what? Liberality in our giving. But the word generosity has the root meaning of ready, willing, eager to do it. So it's not a hesitancy, well, I see that, but I don't really want to do it, but I guess I might. But generosity is a spirit and an attitude that's ready, eager, looking for ways to bless, ways to give, ways to be generous with time, with emotions, with money, Generosity is a lifestyle, it's a spirit, but it's an eagerness to be abundant with what you have. Sacrificially and joy joyfully given, freeing us up from what? Smallness of living. Smallness of living. Nobody here would want to have smallness of living. Generosity enlarges your heart, enlarges your vision, enlarges the way you think. When you begin to see God provide for you in a tangible way, 
It builds your faith in such a way that, well, it will absolutely stretch you to the place you want to go and should go as you see God do things in your life. And finances is one of the ways the Lord proves himself to us through money. It's through resource. It's through blessing. All right, the generosity moment. Let me give you a few points. I hope you take these down because these all work, and they're good. They're biblical. Number one, generosity expresses our love and gratitude for saving grace. Where does generosity spirit come from? It's an attitude about what Jesus has done in our life. It expresses an attitude of gratitude about the generosity of the cross, of the blood of Jesus, the way Jesus has come into my life. The gospel changes our selfishness to selflessness because the gospel changes the heart. And when the heart changes, we're saved from this old hard heart, stingy heart, limited heart, selfish heart, me heart. Of course, if you've been born again, if you've if you got Jesus in your life, in your core, your heart changes and the very thing that happens to a heart, Ezekiel 20. 36, 26 says a new heart, new spirit. The very thing that comes into your heart should be a generosity of sharing, a generosity of talking, a generosity of giving, because that's the heart of Jesus. That's the new heart. That's what, that's what changes our life so much, is that we live like Jesus and share his love because we have his heart. We begin to thank God that he saved us and what he's done in us. Psalms 118, verse 5, I called on the Lord and he listened to me and brought me out of a bad place. Isaiah 19 and verse 20, it says, I was oppressed, and the Lord delivered me. Psalms 40, verse 1 and 2, it says, I was in a horrible pit, and God lifted me up. Luke 19, verse 8 and 9, puts the two together. And that is a heart change and what you do with your money. Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, 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 look, I have, I have half of my goods. I've given half of my goods to the poor. And if I have taken anything from anyone wrongfully, I will restore them four times, fourfold. Jesus says an amazing thing in Luke 19, verse 8 and 9. Today, salvation has come to your house. Salvation has come to your house. What is he saying? Sozo, chain, deliverance, heart. You have the generosity. You have a new heart. You see things that touch your tangible world. Number two, generosity testifies that our hearts belong first and foremost to God. It's a testimony that our hearts belong first and foremost to God. And out of this heart flows generosity thought about how to be generous with the gospel, with the message of Jesus, but also how to bless other people with everything I have, with my prayers, whatever I have. In Acts 13 and verse 22, it says, I found David, a man that has my heart. He has my heart. Proverbs 23, 26 says, my son, give me your heart and I will direct your way. So it, it starts with this heart thing. Giving is a heart thing. It's a heart thing. It doesn't start with calculating. It starts with heart. And when it starts with heart, it would move your heart to fulfilling what God speaks to you. We all learn and we all change. C.S. Lewis, when he talks about people being uh, 
people who are under the work of grace. He describes it this way. He says, we are all under construction. Yes, we are. Naturally, there's unfinished lumber showing up here and there. Protruding nails, unsightly scaffolding. But it's still clear that a work is in progress. That the builder has committed himself to bring in this building into conformity with the blueprinter. And so it is when we come into Christ and our life starts to change, we're, we're under the master craftsman. He's, he's changing the way we think, the way we feel, the way we live, the way we treat our resources, how we live by principle, how we honor, how we live by faith, how we stretch that faith, how we bless other people. We're all under construction, and that construction is because the Holy Spirit's working on our heart. Randy Alcorn says about the heart and giving, he says, if I want my heart to be in one particular place, and I find this, what I'm going to say right now, to be very true for me. If I want my heart to be in one particular place and not another, then I need to put my money in that place and not the other. I've heard people say, I want to have more of a heart for missions. I always respond. Jesus tells you exactly how to get that. Put your money in missions and your heart will follow. Wherever you put your treasure, your heart goes to it. Wherever you begin to sacrifice, you start having emotion for and conviction for as you give toward it, as you get involved with it. If you have heart for things, it's because you have been generous in that area. Number three, generosity de demonstrates trust in God's faithfulness. It's an expression of this trustworthiness that God will actually do what he says. That God will actually hear the prayer of, if you give your tithe that something's going to happen with your finance. Some people never have that defining moment even with the tithe. Let alone when it comes to a lot of money that might come into your lap through inheritance or just through savings or just through discipline. And you say, what will I do with faith harvest, I don't think I, well, if I give that away, I lose it. Well, that's not right thinking. Do you lose what you give? Do you actually lose if you sow seed? Are you actually poor when you put it into the hands of God? Is it something that happens to you that actually extracts from your bank account and from your life, and now you are without that? You're without that. And it's not going to come back. That would be the kind of thinking that loses view of Scripture and what Scripture says. Ecclesiastes 11. Send your grain across the seas. And in time, profits will flow back to you. But divide your investments among many places, for you do not know what risk might be ahead. Farmers who wait for perfect weather never plant. If they watch every cloud... They never sow seed. And so if we interpret our whole life by what's around us, by the pressures we have and, and what we think is coming, and I don't know about this, we keep all of our seed and the seed stays in the barn. One of the minor prophets says, uh, when they were griping about their harvest, he says, well, the reason you don't have a great harvest is because your seed is in the barn and the seed is dying in the barn. Take the seed out of the barn and sow it into the field. But they were keeping their seed, afraid that they would have maybe a bad year, another bad year, bad five years, and they kept keeping their seed instead of sowing their seed. What are you doing with your seed? There is no harvest 
without seed sowing. Number four, generosity frees us from materialism, which America, you know, obviously we have a problem with this. Generosity is God's way of keeping us from being in bondage to material things while a slave to possessions and wasting our lives. One of the things that always gets my attention out where I live in the Happy Valley area in Clackamas is the hundreds and hundreds of garage sales. And garage sales that has better things than most people in the world have. That is just junk you collect and it's piles and piles and piles and piles. But it's not junk. It's actually money invested in things they didn't need. It's actually a waste on things that are material that don't work for you anymore. And you don't even need them to work for you anymore. If you will Google globalwealth.com and if you will enter the salary of $50,000, which would be a, probably a pretty uh, medium-level salary in USA, $50,000, $40,000. If you would Google globalwealth.com, put in a salary, and look at the whole world, it'll give you a scale. It'll give you a percentage. And it will tell you in all the world how many people make $50,000. You're in the top. 1% of the entire world if you make $50,000 a year. America is wealthy. People have money to waste. People have money to throw away. And I'm not saying you can't enjoy yourself, but I am saying it's better to not be conducting your life by a material collecting spirit than a use this wealth for the kingdom of God. Number five, generosity should create joy. Generosity is giving to God's purpose, and so there's a joy that comes with it. And when you give to that purpose and see that purpose fulfilled, joy should overtake your life. You should begin to have a joy about the eternal things and what's going on with people's lives. It creates a particular kind of joy in your heart and your life. Number six, generosity moments are captured by faith. You can't really do generosity in a big way unless you have faith. And faith is that attitude, Hebrews 11 verse 1, to have faith is to be sure of the things we hope for, but things that we can't see. Faith is dealing with things you can't see. Faith is the ability to see the invisible when you're faced with the impossible and do something that's irrational that brings about something that kingdom reality, it doesn't make sense at times. Faith doesn't make sense when you take and sow a bunch of your seed into something thinking, you know, I could use that for something else. And God says, why don't you see what I can do with it? And why don't you see what I can do with you? He that's invisible, that is the living God, loves to deal with the impossible and the power of his seed is an amazing thing. Number seven, Generosity moments happen by choice. Their choice, your choice, my choice. No one will ever make you be generous. It'll totally be your choice. And if you start when you're young, the choice becomes easier. As you have less to deal with, it might be easier than when you have a whole lot. But you can start at any time. But generosity takes opportunities and steps in, steps over, and you do it. Romans 
message translation about Abraham taking this moment of faith. Wow, what a great guy to follow. He didn't tiptoe around God's promise. I love this translation. Asking cautiously and skeptically about what was going to happen. He plunged into the promise and came up strong, ready for God, sure that God would make good on what he had said. That's why it had said Abraham was declared fit before God by trusting God to set him right. Genesis 22, where Romans 4 is taken after this, God tested Abraham. Said Abraham, Abraham said, yes. I'm listening, go ahead. God says, I want you to take your son, your only son, to Mount Moriah and sacrifice him there as a burnt offering. No, that, that was a miracle. He came as a miracle. Why would I give up the miracle? How can that be? You know, Abraham, the more you read about the guy, the more he so encourages me in how to give and what he did with that moment. It's a choice that he could have said, you know, I'm not going to do that, and this is why I'm rationalizing it away. It's a choice. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. I'd like the good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. I don't know about how it starts. I'll tell you how it starts. You start it. You prime the pump. You give. Say, well, I want the blessing. I just don't want the sacrifice. you got to start. And so, out of what you have and out of faith, what you see coming in. Number eight, generosity moments reveal areas of strength and your opportunity for growth. When those opportunities come, check your heart. What happens? How do you respond? What, what do you do when the Lord says, okay, it's time for you to Step in. I want you to believe the promise and I want you to launch out. Friend, give your $3,000. And that was the first of many $3,000. And a lot more than $3,000. But it started somewhere where I learned God has a, a way of doing harvest that is so interesting that I so trust I'm relaxed in it. Now, it's not even attention. I'm relaxed in it. I'm relaxed in the millions that are coming through our hands. I'm relaxed in the millions that we need. Why? Because I understand kingdom mathematics. I understand how this thing works. It says with Abraham in Genesis 22 verse 3, I love this response right here. And Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of the young men and said, we're going. He didn't sleep in on it, leave at lunchtime. Early in the morning, he's up and at it. said, hey, Donkeys are loaded. Young men come. Isaac, we're on our way. 50-mile journey to Moriah. Here we go. Staggering. Unbelievable. Totally unbelievable response. Here we go. Let's do it. There was no hesitancy with Abraham. That's why he's called the father of faith. And when he got to the mountain, he told the young men, he says, you guys stay here. Isaac and I will go up. And this is what he says, as you know in your Bible. And we will return. We'll return. He had faith somehow that this was all going to work out with no hesitancy. And number nine, 
Generosity holds back nothing. If God speaks, I respond. It's that moment when I surrender my best gift. I don't hold back. You know, three times it says about Abraham, three times I noticed this phrase, and he didn't withhold, he didn't hold back, he didn't withhold, he didn't hold back. Three times. In Genesis, it talks about him. He would not withhold his gift, his son, his first love, for sure. He wouldn't withhold it. It's okay, God. I don't know what you're up to, but it says afterward that God says, okay, Abraham, there's a ram in the thicket. Sacrifice the ram. I wanted to test your heart. Now I know you will do anything I say. You're responsive and you have faith for my provisions. I'm going to bless you with a blessing that is so far beyond. It's going to be for the whole world. And then he starts unfolding the Genesis 17 blessing that came out of this. What would you do to be generous? What would you do? What will you do during faith harvest? What is it that God's after in your life to stretch you, stretch your heart, and to give you an opportunity to learn what? Remember, God's not broke and the church is not broke. Whether you give one penny, one penny to faith harvest will not change what God will do with this church. God will find somewhere to get that money to us. He does it every year. And there are hundreds of people that don't give in the faith harvest and hundreds that do. And there's different seasons where you can and there's different seasons where you choose not to that. That's understandable as long as sometimes you definitely do choose. Not you're always out. But there could be times the Lord says, don't do it this year. I understand that. What will you do when the Holy Spirit puts his finger on you and says, hey, I'm after your Isaac. Oh, Saddle your donkey, get up early and bring it. Hmm. I'm after your alabaster box, not after just the vial of perfume sitting in the cupboard. I want the whole box. Will you give me the box? Break it open? I want it all. I want the whole field. I want the whole harvest. I want all your silver and your gold. David brought tons of everything he had. What would happen if people found a generosity spirit to bring what Jesus would say bring, what would happen to the vision? It would grow, things would happen, and God would do an awesome thing in your life and the life of our church. I want you to agree in prayer with me right now to do something symbolic, and that is I'm going to pray because these are the very first cards that have come in for Faith Harvest. And these are eldership cards. We have 27 elders, and I believe the elders should be first partaker of the fruit. And so I'm going to pray over the eldership cards. We are believing God, just so you know, if you want to pray with us, we're believing God for $1.1 million of faith harvest. How many can say amen? How many can say amen a little louder? Okay, 1.1. Why? Because last year we gave $1,015,000. So this year we're doing one. Point one, a little bit more. We didn't go less than last year, so we have a vision. For the eldership, I thought we should set a goal for the elders to give 25% of the entire goal that we're setting. That's 275,000 of 1.1. We already have 
over 200,000 committed from the eldership. What I need is for the church just to have the same spirit of faith and the same spirit of liberality to follow the eldership as we sow the field and believe God for miracles in our church, in your life, in your business. Stand to your feet. Everybody, just stand to your feet. I'd like the entire congregations to lift their hand toward the card. Just lift your hand toward the Faith Harvest cards I have in my hand. Let's plant a potential $275,000 seed in the ground as we also plant your seed in the ground and believe God to cut loose with some miracles that we've never seen before. Father, this morning we pray that you will take the seed that's in my hand, the representative seed, Lord, of millions of dollars that could come in. Lord, we have a seed right now with the eldership, first partakers, 275,000 at least, that we will sow into the field of faith, believing, Lord, that you will multiply the field, that you will do an awesome thing. So we put this seed in the ground today. Now, Lord, I also pray over every person. I want every person to get a Faith Harvest card. If you don't have one in your hand, I want you just to put one in your hand. They're, they're probably around the chairs and the pews and somewhere. They came in a letter this week to your home, uh, to your apartment, hopefully to your dorm. Uh, if you don't have one, that's fine. Just get a tithe envelope, put it in your hand and just call it good. Say it's Faith Harvest. I just want you to have an envelope in your hand. All right? I want to pray for every envelope in every hand right now. Bow your head and let's just do business with the Holy Spirit. Father God, right now I pray. Lord, that you will speak to the congregation. Lord, that you will lead us into an awesome time of faith. Lord, that you will lead us into an awesome time of surprise and miracles and fun. Lord, we want to have fun with this. We want this to be joyful and exciting and amazing and Lord, when we look back on it, we'll say, wow, 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 again, how the Lord had done marvelous things in our midst. Lord, bless every individual, every person that is going to believe God and sow seed into the faith harvest. Lord, bless their heart. Give them numbers. Give them ideas. Give them ways that they also may give. In the mighty name of Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen, Amen.